Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome. We're in part two of this series called In the Meantime. Do me a favor. I want you to turn to your neighbor. You got you to do this with some, some, some 49er or some Raider gusto to you. Give your neighbor a high five and tell him you can do it. Y'all remember, y'all remember Waterboy? It was that really stupid Adam Sandler movie. And Rob Schneider runs around the whole movie. He's like, you can do it. And you know, that's, that's it. You, you, I want you to know by the end of the day, you got this. You can do it. Let's talk real quick here. This series was really, somebody asked me even earlier today, like, where do you come up with this stuff? Or why did you do this message? Or where, whatever. And, and it was real simple. When I have enough counseling conversations and prayer conversations with people, and my response to their situation is like, man, I don't even know. <laughs> That's bad. When you come to your pastor, you're like, I don't even know the answer. There's not a Bible verse for that one. Uh, I, I don't even know. Or, or sometimes you're, because I, I know people that are in these, these terrible situations. And so if you're in one of these situations, you're going to feel this as we talk today. And if you're not in this situation, you either can think back to when you were, or you should just prepare yourself for if you might be in the future. And it, we find ourselves in these, these moments. We're in the meantime. We're literally stuck where you can't go back and you kind of can't go forward. You, you can't go back. There's no flux capacitor. You could uh, rework time and history and do it all over again. You totally would, but you, you can't. You can't go back in time and change it. And you're so stuck that the decisions you make now really don't even have like, like I can't even do anything right now in this moment. Like I know a person right now and we, we were having a conversation and their, their spouse is in prison. It was like, what do you do? You're like, you just, you just, you just know. In that date, they get out. But until then, there's just there's nothing I can do. I know people that have uh, that have kids that have addiction issues, and you're like, well, do I kick them out or do I let them stay at home? And I'm just kind of stuck, and I don't know what to do with them, and they're crazy. Or you're in here today, and you're a teenager, and you're the, your issue is that your parents are crazy, and you're like, well, I'm 16, and I gotta wait two more years because I'm living with crazy parents. Or you're or you're you, you're you're stuck with that that marriage situation where like you want to go get counseling, but they are refused to go get counseling, and you want to make it work, but they don't even know they want to make it work, and it's you're stuck on the brink. And then, or you look at your job, or you look at your your finances, or you look at your life, and you're just whenever you feel stuck. And last week we talked about how feeling stuck. Sometimes one of the phrases that we come up with in our American culture, at least, is is where we say, "Hey, it is." It is what it is. And, there, it, 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 and in those moments where it just feels like it is what it is, this is what we talked about. There's a major temptation, and the temptation starts on the inside of you. It's this emotional thing that you battle. It's this kind of inward turmoil that you face. And really what you do is, is you have these temptations, and they're this. Is The first temptation says, I will never, I will never be happy again. Because when you're in the midst of it, you feel like this, this is like a storm that won't pass. This is a mountain that I can't seem to get over. This is just something that's so big, I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come from this. Like, there's just no way that, like, if, and this is, where, this is where people literally have a crisis of faith sometimes. This is what certain atheists point to as an argument against the existence of God. Because they say, well, if a good God really exists, some of these bad things could just never happen. So nothing, there's no way. Anything good can come from this. And there's no hope. Like there's no even point in continuing anymore. And we looked at this interesting story where Jesus has two very, very close friends. People that he loves. One of them he said is the greatest dude ever born. One of them was his buddy. And they both, one's in prison and the other one gets sick and dies. 
And we would assume that Jesus would go rescue, deliver, deliver, heal, help, do whatever, and he doesn't. He doesn't. And all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, you find this, that God does sometimes rescue, save, deliver, do the miraculous, but many times he doesn't. There are many times in life where God doesn't rescue people from the fire. He simply gets into the fire with them. He doesn't rescue them from danger. He just gets into the danger with them. That sometimes, like, like think about this. There are 12 disciples, people that follow Jesus closely. Only one of them died of natural causes. Ten of them were killed for what they believed. And none of them were shocked by it. None of them were like, you know, Jesus, you just sold me a total bill of goods. You, you did a whole bait and switch thing. You told me that life was going to be awesome and wonderful and peachy and like golden brick road and super cool. I didn't know you were leading me to my death. None of them said that. As a matter of fact, they all gladly, it's crazy enough, gladly went to their death. Peter was the one that was going to be crucified later on in his life. And he said, Jesus is so worthy. Don't crucify me like you did him. Just do something different. Crucify me upside down if you have to, but do something different because I'm not worthy. And he didn't bat an eye at it, but he didn't get offended. He didn't have a crisis of faith. In that moment, he knew that going through problems, going through trials, that he wasn't alone in it. And this is what we ultimately discovered, is that in the meantime, in our emotions, we need to like settle in our heart. God is not absent. God is right there. That is the ultimate promise of God. The ultimate promise of God is not that you won't ever go any, through anything terrible or hard or painful. It's that he'll go through it with you. He's not absent. He's not apathetic. It's not like God just doesn't care. It's not like God, did you ever feel like this? You'd be like, God's got six billion people on this planet. There ain't no way he cares about little old me. There ain't no way he can hear my prayer with all of their prayers. And, and, and I'd love to explain that to you theologically. It'd be really fun, but I don't have time. God can hear your prayers in the midst of six billion prayers. I promise you, he can't. So it's not that he doesn't care, and it's not that he's angry. Because some of you grew up underneath kind of the religious burden of, oh my God, I didn't go to church last week. He's going to get me this week. Or I haven't, I've been really, really bad. So, now don't get me wrong. Sometimes you see the judgment of God. But by and large, what you're dealing with is just simply the fact that you live in a lost and sinful world. And sometimes, it's very, very clear. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes, this may be even more, you know, angry to think about. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if you ever struggled with this, the whole entire book of Job was written to address this issue. The entire book of Job is written to address the idea that what is God up to and what is God doing? And the ultimate conclusion that the book of Job leads you to is this. You'll never really know. But it's not that God's not powerful and it's not that God's not kind and it's not that God doesn't have a purpose, but you're too small to figure it out. That's the end result. Like, we'll never know. There's no way, if you're arrogant enough to believe that you can somehow figure God out and everything that he's up to, that's, that's arrogant. That, that's the idea that I, I, somehow, I need answers. I want the truth. You can't handle I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And so that's, this is what we're talking about, is what do you do in the meantime and Jesus showed us that he is absolutely present, that he absolutely cares, and that there can be something good. There can be meaning and purpose that comes from your painful 
experiences. And we're going to continue today with this, this new idea that the Apostle Paul takes us down. The Apostle Paul is interesting. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, let me describe it like this. The Apostle Paul is a Jewish religious leader who is anti-Jesus, anti-the Jesus movement. He's imprisoning Christians. He's kind of like there, like, you know, like you ever felt like you wanted to kill a Christian? He was doing that too. And so um, that's what Paul was doing early on in his life. That's what his main goal and agenda was, was to squash the Jesus movement. Well, one day he has an encounter with God and God speaks to him. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you keep messing with Jesus? And Jesus speaks to him in a, in a vision and a thing, and he, it radically changes his life. It so changes his life that the guy goes from being the Jesus um, hater and the Christian imprisoner to the Christian missionary. And so this guy is so radically converted and radically changed that he becomes a missionary, and all he does is spend the rest of his life going all around the Mediterranean, planting churches, setting up churches, and telling other people about Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If you look in the back of your Bible, um, for those of you who still have Bibles, um, you can't do this if you're, if you're on an app right now, because you know your old school Bible has maps in the back? If you have old school Bible today, and you go to the back of your Bible in the map section, usually there's a few maps they stick back in there. Usually you got like ancient Israel and where the, where the Jews came out through Mount Sinai or whatever, but then you'll get to the end, it'll say Paul's missionary journeys. Is that in your, I see you looking in there, you got all the Mr. Maps. Um, Paul's got first missionary journey, it's a blue line, and he's got red missionary journey, and that's a red line, and he's got the last. So here, here's the deal. He spends his entire life going on these journeys through the Mediterranean, setting up churches. He's beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Uh, one time they, they literally like threw rocks at him, thought he was dead, drug him to the edge of the city, and then he gets back up and just goes to the next city. It's crazy. Uh, one time he's snake bitten. I mean, it's just nutty, crazy, weird stuff. But, but, at the end... Of his third missionary journey, he gets thrown in prison. Now, if, if you know the story, Rome is in charge of all of that area of the world. The Roman Empire is dominating. And there's this guy named Nero who's the emperor, who's like the worst dude. Like of all of the emperors, he is absolutely at the top of the list as being one of the worst, nastiest, meanest, most awful people in the world. If you're ready to move to Canada because either Trump or Clinton get in, you don't know who Nero is, okay? That's all I'm telling you. It, it's not that bad. We're going we're gonna to make it, okay? Um, at, least, at least Nero, that would be our, at least Nero's not at the head of the whatever party. So Nero, Nero was so bad, he used to take Christians and uh, used to line his garden and he would, it was gross, he would take heads, this is messed up, off of Christian bodies, cover them in tar and light his garden with them. We don't deal with that, okay? We're, we're, we're going to make it. Um, my point is, is that this is the part of the story where when Nero gets Paul imprisoned, every Christian would have been like, crap. It's, oh, can I say that at church? It's, we're not a very religious church. So, uh, <laughs> that's where you would say, yep, Paul's done. Time to get a new missionary guy with red lines and green lines in our maps. And it's time to get somebody else to go stand, start churches and plant churches and do all this cool stuff. It's time to get someone new. That would have been where Paul would have been like, I'm going to be here forever. And he was, he was there until he was eventually killed. Um, but Paul did something fascinating. Paul, when he was in prison, thought, well, I'm stuck here. And I can't travel and I can't do missionary journeys. And I can't go preach at churches and go start churches and do all this stuff that I used to do. You know what I'm going to do? I'll just write these people since I'm stuck in prison. I'm just going to write to them. 
And this is what, as a matter of fact, when you look at your Bible, Paul wrote about almost two-thirds of the New Testament, and all these different epistles, everybody say epistles. It's just letters that he wrote to these surrounding churches. He wrote, these, these are what's called the prison epistles. Do you know why they're called that? Because he wrote them while he's in prison. So he's bored or something, I don't know, he, but he's like, well, I'll just write some people. So you remember that church in Ephesus that I used to pastor and I used to, uh, and remember the church in Philippi, they were so nice, they're like the sweetest people, they were super cool, and Colossians, and then, and, and then like, he just starts writing them letters. And, and this is my guess, is at the time he was writing it, I don't think he said, you know what, I'm going to go write some Bible real quick here. God speak, I'm writing Bible. I think he just started praying and saying, God, I need to write these people, what, what would you have me tell them? And he begins to write these letters that we look back at now and say, because Paul was really the first New Testament theologian. He was the first person doing like theological work where he was dissecting the Old Testament scriptures and looking at the life and the words of Jesus and putting it all together and then writing it so that we could fully understand it. And so this is such a big deal. Like you have no idea like how big of a deal this is. And I just want you to think about this. If Paul doesn't go to prison, we probably don't have these words, we probably don't have these letters that prison, as I, and we'll, we'll make more sense this later, prison is possibly the thing that he uses to like the motivation, the inspiration, the wherewithal, the time, all that comes from him being in prison. So like, like ladies, y'all remember that whole thing about like husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and died and gave him? You know where that came from? I came from prison, Right? I'm not saying that he thought about his wife in prison and it was, I'm not saying that. Because remember, remember guys when it said wives honor your husbands, like that, that came from prison. Remember that whole thing about like be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That, that came from prison. I, I, I bet I know where he got that from. Remember that whole thing about the armor of God? Put on the whole armor of God and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. You know where that came from? That came from prison. You know, you know why most people think? He was like, man, there's a prison guard. You know, it's kind of like God, you know, and he just starts writing all this cool stuff. You know, that whole thing about like we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves lest any man should boast. That's this whole idea that your salvation is not based on how good you are at rule keeping. Can I get an amen out there? That, that you're, you know, okay, that was a little too enthusiastic. Okay, there's some things that we do need to follow here, people. This isn't a, I should quote much more scripture about not, anyway, um, that came from prison. I, I just need you to get your head wrapped around the idea that, that in prison came something really, really good that at the time, no one probably thought anything good could come from it. And while he's in there, he actually speaks to this whole idea of what do you do when you're stuck in the meantime? What do you do when you can't go forward and you can't go backward and all your decisions are bad? Hey, I, I, I know this one guy and literally he comes to me and we talk regularly and his whole situation is because of all the bad decisions or foolish decisions or sinful things that, that I've done, it's led me down this path eventually to now I only have two decisions that I can possibly make and they both stink. You ever been there before? What do you do when you're in the meantime? What do you do when the doctor's report says it's this and you got this and you can treat it but you can't cure it and you, got, and you can't even... What, what do you do... When you're in all those meantime situations, Paul actually addresses this. Let's read together. The Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord 
that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Let me, let me tell you why, like, like why he writes to the Philippians. He actually writes to the Philippians in response to a care package that they sent him while he was in prison. Okay, just take, take this as a side note. Anytime somebody's in a hospital or in a prison, send them stuff. It just means the world to him, okay? Just send them stuff. And Paul is in prison, and the Philippians send him this really cool care package. He's got some money, because if you didn't have money, you couldn't buy stuff or get food. And if you, and so anyway, he, maybe his coat, some books are mentioned later, stuff like that. But he says this, he goes, you just had no opportunity to show up, but you, you, you're concerned about me. You cared, and you sent me this care package. Now, verse 11, he responds to it. He goes, now look, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be what? Everybody say content. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And this is where he's going. He's getting you this idea of like, hey, even when you're in the meantime, you can find something called contentment. Because most of us don't find that. We find anger. We find bitterness. We find jealousy even. We might have a crisis of faith. But he's saying, actually, I'm telling you, in the midst of your meantime, jacked up, awful God, there can be no good. There's no hope. And what are we going to do? He said, I promise, and I'm proof of it, because it's not like he had an easy life. If we went through his life's resume, I'm going to bet money it's worse than yours. One or two of you might be able to like get on par, but, but it, it, he trumps us. So let me just put that. He says, you can find this thing called contentment. And what he's not saying is this. He's not saying that in the midst of your meantime, you're like, yes, awesome. I can tell God's going to do something in me. That... Uh, for the, for, the, for the Christian who does that, you may need to look into medication. <laughs> That's not what Paul was saying. He wasn't saying like, woo I love being in prison. I love that God's going to do... No, that's not what he's saying. And he wasn't saying uh, like, hey, just so you know, I'm glad I'm in prison. And if I had the choice to get out, I'd stay. That, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is, is that ultimately, even in the midst of... Of my in the meantime moment, I can have enough of God's resources to be okay, to survive, to make it, to not buckle under the pressure or the weight or the temptation to run or quit or bail or give up. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. I, I can be content. I'll, I'll prove it to you because he keeps going. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. What he's basically saying is that I've been broke and I had money. Um, I know the difference. I've learned, look at this, I've learned the secret of being content. The fact that he says I've learned it means this, it's not natural. So if you ever felt like I don't know how to be content, you're fine. He didn't either. It was something he had to learn to do. Something that he had to figure out. And maybe he figured it out in prison. And maybe that's where he really learned it. But he learned. And it even says he learned the what? The secret of being content. I want you to know like there's some, there's some secrets here. As a matter of fact, the word secret here is really interesting. In, in the Greek language, Paul uses this word. And if you compare it to all of his other writings, he never uses this word again. It's the only time that he ever uses it. And it's a really, really obscure, obscure word. It's a word that like most people would never use. Do you ever do that at work? You got like your like, you know, word of the day app pops up every morning and you're like, I'm going to use this on somebody today. And you waited all day to like try to work in that really cool, big, like smart. You sounded so smart. If I could just 
fit this word in. And then you use it and they're like, oh, wow, check you out, Mr. Dictionary. My bad, Mrs. Webster, I didn't even know that you rolled that deep into your vocab. Like, like you impressed, every, you put everybody out like, whoa, $5 word, all right. <laughs> Paul does this. Paul's like, and he would do, he's done this like two or three times or four or five times even throughout scripture where he would drop a word that's really uncommon. He was just trying to get you to pay more attention. But the word secret actually is this kind of weird word where if you, if you find it any other way in ancient literature, it's used to like this, uh, this idea of initiation into like this cultic mysticism. It's like, ooh, I want you to know like, like I found the secret. Like, like you know, like you ever did like a sorority or, or a fraternity and you had the secret handshake? Yeah, that's, this is a secret handshake. That's what this is. This is like, my kids are like this. Do, when, when your kids are like this, do you, do you have like, they have like a thing on the door that says you cannot enter without the password. And you're like, you're seven, okay? I'm your dad. I'm going to bust that door down. You need no pa- password is I'm your dad. That's the password. I'm your daddy. I got a belt. Anyway, um, I'm just kidding. That's how I used to get whooped. Um, but he's saying, like, you need to know, like, like everybody pay attention, big $5 word. I've got the secret to contentment. And, and he's about to break off. And he goes, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Like, when I was broke and when I had money and when I was fed and when I was hungry. And then whether I had plenty or I lived in want, I figured out, I learned it. I didn't know it off the bat. It wasn't natural or inherent. I learned this super secret. To being content. Now, I'm going to give you some help real quick here this morning because I want you to be really, really content and at peace in life, whether life is going good or life is going bad. And so what I want to do is give you just some secrets that the Bible would lay out, some, some ideas, some keys to contentment. Like number one is this, if you want a, a key to contentment, a secret to contentment, everybody say gratitude. If you find yourself just never feeling satisfied and you're discontent, if you're constantly daydreaming about what you wish you had and where you wish you were or who you wish you were married to or whatever, it, whatever that looks like to you and you're constantly discontent with your life and your job and, your, and everything is just discontent, I'm telling you gratitude changes everything. Your ability to make a list of everything good in your life and focus on it. It changes who you are. It changes your perspective. It just kind of changes the way that you see. Because see, when, here's what I know. When you're thankful for what you have and you're focused on that, then you're not disappointed by everything that you don't have. It just changes you. It is, a, it is just a little secret. It's a little key to contentment. It's not what Paul's going to talk about in a second, but it's, it's there. Number two is this, is, is really to be content. You've got to avoid the comparison trap. Like, that's so huge. Some of you live on Instagram and you live on Facebook and you are constantly comparing your boring life to other people's highlight reels. They have boring lives too. They just don't post that part. Okay? They do boring stuff. They have to do laundry. They have to cook food. They have to clean up the bathroom. They got to go grocery shopping. They shop for toilet paper just like you do. They got to wipe them kids' nasty butts. They got to clean up dirty noses. And they got to they do all the same boring crap you do. You're just living through their highlight reel. And you get so discontent thinking, oh, I want to go there. I wish I had that home. Or I wish I had this thing. You're, I'm telling you, to, to live in that world is going to drive you into discontentment. Here, here, here's another one. Just Humility. Humility is maybe like one of the most incredible keys because when you're truly humble, now this would just take too long. I'm just, I'm just salt and pepper in this thing. But to be truly humble just simply means that I'm not going to focus on me all the time. It's not to like think less of myself. It's just to think of myself less 
often. Like, I don't ha- it doesn't always have to be about me. I don't have to always think about myself. You know what? Maybe my attention should be on God and his plan for my life. My attention should be on others and how can I help and bless other people in my life. And maybe if I just made my life about other people. Here's another thought. Like, humility gives you this perspective in life. When you get around other people, and you're not making it always about you, and you get around other people, what you realize is, is the life that you complain about so much, other people would kill to have. But you're not aware of that because you don't see their plight, and you didn't realize how good you had it. And this whole idea of humility, that, that, that you, here's the idea, it could be a lot worse. Let's just put it like that. It could be a lot worse. And humility helps me say, you know what, let my focus and attention be somewhere else. Now, the Apostle Paul gives a what I think is the ultimate secret. These are just keys, but these are just secrets. But this, he gives the ultimate secret. Now, Paul is about to unleash a Bible verse that is the most quoted Bible verse today, probably, and the most misused and misapplied verse today. Are you ready? This is it. Philippians 4, verse 13. Everybody say it with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, again, depending on what Bible translation you have, the one that most commonly is used is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? But, but now you kind of know that there's a different context for what Paul was saying because the way we think of it is, is like totally different. Like, we, can, it, can I show you how we think of it? Let's, let's put a little picture up here for me real quick here. Yes, right here. I've got Philippians 4.13 on my wrist wrap because I'm about to put on a boxing glove and punch somebody in the face, but I can do it. I can knock this guy out because of Christ in me. Here's another one. Fan favorite. Who doesn't love some Tim Tebow? I am going to throw the touchdown pass. I'm going to run over you. I'm going to hit a baseball. I'm going to do whatever he's doing now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That last one, yep, Steph, I can shoot threes like a maniac. I can drop bombs from deep. I can do that. I can do all things through Christ. Let me just tell you real quick here. And I love Tim Tebow. And I love Steph Curry. That's not what that means. <laughs> okay, I, I love him. I love him. And maybe they know what it means too, and they're just using it in a slight. But like most of the time, when you see people, look, let me just help you out quick here. You're not going to dunk a basketball ever in your life. Okay, you need to swallow. Maybe you. But, okay, look, I'm 37 and I am white. That dream has passed, okay? I don't care how many times I'll quote that Bible verse, I ain't dunking no basketball. Let me have it real quick here. You're not going to play professional football. You are 100 pounds dripping wet. Stop it. You are not playing professional football. You cannot do all things. Maybe, maybe you. But you cannot. Listen, the idea that like, you know what? I'm going to knock him out because I can do all things through Christ. That's not what that verse meant. Okay? So I'm sorry if I just burst your Christian bumper, uh, bumper sticker bubble and, and you got to go take that thing off of your, your Nikes now. I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay? I'm sorry that I rained on your Christian parade. I'm sorry. I'm just your pastor. I'm a Bible teacher. Okay? But, but, but now you know the context. Because go back and look at the context. He was saying this. He goes, I appreciate the gift that you gave me, but you just need to know, like, I've learned something while I'm here. Whether you sent me a gift or not, I would have been okay. I would have made it because I've learned the secret of being content. I know what it's like to be in total poverty 
or to have plenty and have more than enough. I know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to be free. I know what it's like to be stuck in the meantime and have nowhere to go and no answers and nothing to do. I know what it's like to live in that. And go back to 413 for me. The proper translation would really be, how can I do all this stuff? How can I be content? How can I endure all these things? I can do all this. What's this? Not knock somebody out. Not dunk a ball. I love you. But I can do all this. Endure the meantime. I can do all this because of Christ who gives me strength. Are you hearing me now? I had this woman that came to me um, not too long ago. And her situation is terrible. Um, basically, you know, she's been married for years and there's kids in the picture. And, and she came to me and she said, Todd, he just left. Like, it was a Thursday, and he just left. I had no idea things weren't even going good, and he just left, like he's gone. What do I do? What do you do when that comes into your office? What, how, how do you explain that away? And I talked to her through a bunch of different things and a few different things, but here's the ultimate thing that I landed on, and I told her this. I said, I want you to know that no matter whether if he goes further off the deep end or if he comes back tomorrow, you're going to make it if you will trust in God. I said, and trusting in God looks like so many different things to so many different people. But I mean, if you'll just lean into God, if you'll trust into God, if you'll cling to God, if you'll draw closer to God, if you will let him be your strength, you're going to make it. Now, right now, you don't feel like that, but I promise you, you're going to make it. And here's how I know that, because other people have been through what you went through and they made it. And other people have gone through worse and they made it. And other people have so defied the odds and they made it. And the only reason why they made it, and they get on the other side of that thing and they say, because God was my strength in those moments. Because I found a peace and a contentment that only God could give me. Later, Paul kind of describes it as that, as a peace that surpasses understanding. And here's what I know too. Now, like you can go the other direction and not make it. Like you can get so worked up and have a crisis of faith. You can get so angry and become a bitter person and become hateful and vengeful. You can get so jacked up on the inside that you need to medicate the pain with every pill and alcohol and herb and this and whatever you can find. And you can go off the rails too. But I'm telling you, Paul said that there's a contentment. There's a secret. It's like a super secret. There's a special even handshake for this thing. It's a mystery. It's God's strength in you. That gives you the ability to endure, not dunk a basketball, to endure all things. And how do I know this is true? Because Paul was able to endure all these things. And there are countless testimonies of people that have gone through similar or trying or terrible things. And they keep going through and they point to this idea. And it's this, it's this mystery. This is, this, this is the ultimate secret of contentment. It is Christ in you, empowering you. Now, I can't quite quantify that. I don't even fully know how to like explain that. As a matter of fact, when you talk to the people who are in the midst of their meantime and they have peace and they have a steady hand and they're as cool as the other side of the pillow, when they have that, they can't even fully explain it. But they just say, I just know God's peace is with me. God's strength is with me. And it's because they made a decision. That in the meantime situation, they weren't going to lean into medicating the pain or flipping out and going off the rails themselves. But in the meantime situation, that they would find, that they would learn, that they would search for, that they would find the secret handshake to this big mystery. Christ in you, empowering you. Now, here, here's why this is so important. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. This is why this is such a big deal. 
The reason why this is such a big deal, and we'll explain it through the lens of Paul for a second here. When you look at what Jesus did on the cross and how the disciples kind of started the early church and how this thing really got moving, most disciples stayed right there in Jerusalem. It was Paul that began to take the gospel to the Gentiles or anybody that was non-Jewish. And he was the one that started taking it all throughout the Roman Empire. And I want you to know it was, it was what he endured. It was the secret that he found. It was the mystery that he discovered and learned that changed everything. Like you need to get your head wrapped around this. Outside of Jesus, Paul was the most influential human being for the first three to four hundred years after the time of Jesus. Because here's what's fascinating. Like, think, think about this for a second. He's in prison and he decides, well, I'll write a letter. And he writes a letter that we're reading today and has been read by billions of people for thousands of years now. That's how big of a deal. I guess here's my point. Do you know what hung in the balance when Paul was in the meantime situation and he had every right to quit or to get angry at God and say, well, God, I was doing all of your work and somehow I ended up in here. This isn't fair. And he could have gotten mad, angry, bitter. He could have gone, in, he could have gone off the rails. He could have gone and said, hey, you what, Nero, you're God. I, I want out of here. That's all he had to do. Nero, you're God. You're the Caesar. I'll worship you. La, la, la. I'm out of here. Peace. He could have done any of those things. But you know what hung in the balance? You did. I did. The church of Jesus Christ hung in the balance of his decision to hang in, to endure all of that because of Christ in him, empowering him. And I guess here's, here's my point. You have no idea what hangs in the balance when you're in that in the meantime moment. You don't know. You don't know how it's going to affect your children. You don't know how it's going to affect your spouse. You don't know how it might set up generations to come. You can't fathom it. You can't get your head wrapped around it. This is why the whole idea of pain and suffering doesn't even make sense to you because God is the only one that's able to see five and six and seven and a hundred moves ahead in the future. Only God's able to do that. And so you don't know what hangs in the balance. You have no idea how critical it is, the decision that you make, the legacy that you leave, the choices that you make right in the middle of that meantime. You have no idea. For Paul... It was so huge. He was the most... Think about this. When Gutenberg invented the printing press, do you know what the first thing he printed was? It was the Bible. It was the New Testament. It was these letters that were born out of a prison cell while he was stuck in the meantime. And I'm telling you, this is why it's so crucial that when you're in the midst of your in-the-meantime moment, that you're so careful not to jump ship, not to abandon, not because in that moment when he's tripping or she's tripping or the kids are this or the finances are that, you will have every reason in the world to want to quit, to want to run. I get that. But be careful you don't know what hangs in the balance. There could be incredible ramifications. There could be such incredible blessings that are just right around the corner. And maybe you never even get to see them. My guess is that Paul never fully grasped what he was doing. He never fully understood that when he was writing that whole thing in Philippians, he had no idea that Steph Curry would write that on his foot and think he can dunk up. I'm just kidding. He had no idea that you in the midst of your meantime moment would say, you know what? Because this is the real translation of the verse. I can endure all things because of Christ's strength in me. I'm going to tell you what I told that woman. You're going to make it. Because that's what I told her. At the end of the day, I said, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. If you will trust in God, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. You're going to have days where you want to quit, and that's fine. Because the desire to quit and quitting, two different things. You can desire to quit, you can think about quitting, you can dream about quitting. I don't care. Just don't quit. 
You can abandon ship and go off the rails. I, I promise you can. Just think about it. Don't do it. You keep trusting in God and you are going to make it. I promise. I'm going to give you a prayer and we'll close with this here. Um, uh, this is just kind of your, your, your homework assignment. If you're in the meantime, these are the things that I want to put in your prayer life. Number one is this, that if you're in the midst of your prayers, I want you to say, I can't. You didn't have to repeat that, but thank you. You want to repeat it? Let's repeat it. I have to say, I can't. You can. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's my prayer. I know I can't. I don't have the ability anymore. I'm stuck. I'm, I, I, if I go this way, it's bad. If I go this way, it's bad. I'm waiting. I can't. I can't back up. I can't move forward. I can't change her. I can't change him. I can't change my kid. I can't change the outcome. I, there's nothing really that I can do. But, but I don't know what hangs in the balance. So I'll just trust that even though I can't, God, I know that you can. And I'm going to discover. Listen, this is the second part. God, teach me the mystery of Christ in me. These are my prayers. God, in this moment, just teach me. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't even know. I even asked Todd, and he didn't know what to do. God, what do I do? God, teach me the mystery of Christ in me. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here today and you are in the midst of your meantime situation, then what I want you to do is just begin to think about that thing. It won't be hard. You won't have to search for it. If you're in the meantime, you know exactly what it is. It's already there. And this morning as I pray for you and we think about these prayers, as you've got it on your mind right now at the forefront of your thoughts, I just want to encourage you that you can't, but that's okay. He can. And he will through you if you'll invite him to. And so God, we invite you today to come into the midst of our mess. God, if we're in the fire, please get in the fire with us. In the trial, please get in the trial with us. Be with us, God. Let us sense a peace that does not make sense. We can't fully explain. People don't understand why we have it. We pray that you'd give us that level of peace. God, we pray for a strength to endure. God, other people would quit. Other people would run. Other people would throw in the towel. Other people would medicate. God, we will find our strength in you today. And so, God, be our strength. Be our peace. And be our help. God, help us to discover and to learn that secret, that mystery of being content in you. Because we know that, God, if we'll just hang with you, if we'll stay with you, that, God, incredible things can still take place. And so, God, we trust you today with our lives and with our future, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand, God? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.